The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus grows up fast in the gospel. He is a man now. He was born. The Magi came to meet him. His family fled to Egypt. And then in the blink of an eye, he grew up. It happened so fast. And in these three chapters of Matthew, we have yet to hear Jesus speak until now. Silently, he appears in the wilderness to see John to be baptized by him. After all of this time anticipating Jesus' arrival, celebrating his birth, finally we get to hear from him. And the first words out of his mouth, Jesus quotes one of my favorite Beatles songs, Let It Be. So never forget how influential that British rock band is that even our Lord and Savior is a fan. Let it be so now are Jesus' first words spoken in Matthew. It is a command to John to baptize Jesus right there, right now in the Jordan. John tried to prevent him out of a sense that it was not proper. John had been announcing that, that, that he was not worthy to even carry Jesus' shoes, much less officiate at his baptism. But Jesus sets him straight. Not only is it proper for John to baptize him, it is preordained, fated, he has no choice. So John consented. John's purpose in the gospel, from before he was even born, was to prepare the world for Jesus' arrival. But as often is the case for those looking forward to the Savior, Jesus does not really match John's expectations of prestige. John told everyone when the Savior arrived, uh, he, he'd be, doing the, be the one doing the baptizing, and it would be with fire. He'd clean up the mess of the world, clear the threshing floor, 
burn the chaff in an unquenchable fire. When Jesus finally appeared, there was no unquenchable fire. He carried his own shoes, and he got in line for his baptism just like the rest of us. John seemed to expect that Jesus would take command, relieve him of his duty, call down the Holy Spirit with fire. And so shocked was John by how Jesus turned out to be so counter was Jesus from all that John had imagined his entire life. The countless times that he pictured this very moment, the culmination of his life's purpose, John actually tried to set Jesus straight. No, 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 Lord, it's not supposed to be this way. You're not supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to be the one holding you, lowering you into the water, wiping the water off of your face, out of your eyes. No, if anything, I, I, I need you to hold me, to baptize me. They say you should never meet your heroes because inevitably they turn out to be human beings who cannot live up to the way they have existed in our imaginations. Better that they stay pristine in the posters on our walls than turn out to be little jerks in real life. But this day at the baptism of our Lord, John met his hero. And while indeed the whole situation turned out to be way less of a Hollywood blockbuster than he imagined, this moment when John consented to Jesus' desires, when he held on to the back of our Lord and felt his weight in his arms and lowered him into the waters of the river, John let it be. Let Jesus' will be over his own desires. The will of the Lord for the world and for our own lives, it will be what it will be. And we can resist or we can trust. John met his hero and he resisted him, but ultimately he gave in. And while he never really had much of a choice in the matter, receiving Jesus into his arms opened up the gates of heaven. And just as Jesus came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven that said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So I'm wondering if you can think of a time when things turned out a little differently than you imagined. I can think of many a week, a day, when things have not gone according to plan. You know, life is full of these moments, full of, of, of disappointments and of heartbreaks. And what are we to make of these? It seems like John the Baptist had a pretty strong sense of the way things would go when the Son of God appeared, but clearly, based on his immediate reaction, Jesus was much different than John imagined. Matthew says John would have actually prevented Jesus, but instead he consented. Now there is uh, much to be said for resisting 
in life resisting injustice, resisting evil, resisting adversity, struggling against adversity, standing up to the powers that be when that is what we are called to do. But there are times, there are times when we relent, trusting God to carry us through out and out of our greatest fears and disappointments, trusting God to bring about a new reality that is beyond our imaginations, to let it be, to let it be so now, and to ride out the baptismal tide. God is good, and God will prevail. When we baptize someone, whether it's uh, water sprinkled on their heads or they are dunked in the river, it is an act of solidarity with Jesus. We are baptized like Jesus was baptized, and we also try to live as Jesus lived. And though we die, we also rise as Jesus rose. Baptism is a sign that though we may at times resist God, resist grace, we may resist even forgiveness, that though we may resist God's desire for us, we know that we cannot resist forever. For God's love will overcome us, and we have no choice but to consent to grace. We may fight, and we may flail, but Jesus opens his mouth, and the first words calm all storming hearts and soothe all raging minds. Let it be. Let it be so now. Let it be, child. And so we do. We place our children into the waters. We walk ourselves into the rivers. We enter with Jesus and with John and with all of the saints and we open ourselves and we receive Jesus Christ into our arms and then we all go down together. And then together we all rise. I want to ask for your help in something. Ellen Stockstill has made it known to me several times that I should move heaven and earth to get her tickets to hear Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, if it is ever performed near to us. Now, let me say, we went last night to the Harrisburg Symphony and we learned that God hears our cries, hears our pleas, and that indeed in the farm show complex, with hundreds of people where the rodeo got cleared up, we can go and see Beethoven's Ninth just as she always imagined, I'm sure. But I, if you ever hear of another time and place <laughs> that it's being performed, she said anywhere on the eastern she seaboard from Maine to Florida, please let me know she would like for us to attend. So Beethoven, he turns 250 years old this year. Beethoven is one of the world's greatest musicians. And you may know this, but, but, but he, uh, he actually began to go deaf when he was in his 30s, right in the midst of his brilliant career. He told a friend in that time, he said that in the theater, I have to get very close to the orchestra to understand the performers. And from a distance, 
I don't hear the high notes of the instruments and the singers' voices. Every year, his hearing became worse and worse. Music had brought him so much joy in life, brought his meaning, meaning to, to his life, and every day, more and more of it was lost to him. And it was clear that he would not ever regain his hearing, never again hear the beautiful sounds that soothe hearts and minds, that inspire and comfort. And for a long time, Beethoven raged against this decline. He would bang so forcefully on the, the piano in order to hear his own playing that he just left them utterly wrecked by the end of it. Beethoven confided in his friends that without sound, his life would be meaningless. One of his friends wrote that it is a cry of revolt and heartrending pain. One cannot hear it but be shaken with pity. He is ready to end his life. Only moral rectitude keeps him back. And eventually, Beethoven pretty much gave up performing. He only wrote music that contained the notes that he could hear, which were getting fewer and fewer. His housekeepers described that he would try and feel the timbre of the notes on the piano by putting a pencil in his mouth and touching it up against the soundboard while he played. And then, eventually, his hearing was just gone altogether. No amount of rage or determination or desperation could change his reality. He was deaf. But then, something truly divine happened, something nearly baptismal. It was as if Beethoven no longer resisted. He couldn't. And then he embraced his reality. He let it be. He let deafness wash over him like baptismal waters, and from the depths of loss, he discovered that within his own mind, he could fully hear, not with his ears, but somehow beyond. It was as if complete deafness opened a door to a greater gift, a gift that had been within him all along, but that he only discovered through his loss. By the grace of God, Beethoven's deafness was transformed into a path of joy. In complete deafness, Beethoven went back to work composing music with notes that he had stopped using long ago, creating compositions never before imagined. From this place of complete deafness, he created the Ninth Symphony. In complete deafness came his greatest triumph. The story goes that Beethoven insisted on conducting the premiere of that piece of music, even though he couldn't hear a single note. It's said that after the performance, unaware of the thunderous ovation, Beethoven was physically turned around by one of the musicians to see this jubilant audience on their feet, hearing what has become regarded as one of the greatest orchestral pieces ever written. Deafness freed Beethoven, to open a world, a new world in music. 
But more importantly, he discovered the true power of letting it be. Jesus showed us that through baptism, we can trust that no matter what, all will be more than well. All will be made whole, perfect. A new world is opening before us. We need not rage against what is to come. We need not fear. But in releasing our fear, trust that God will lead us and that all the world will be moving in a better way. Right now, we have within us gifts that we have yet to discover, symphonies that have yet to be completed, joy yet realized. And beyond all expectations, the road to discovery may lead through heartbreak and through loss and through change. But God will not allow such things to be for naught. God makes wonderful things through us no matter what life sends our way. Beethoven's Ninth ends with a chorus singing these soaring lines from Friedrich Schiller's poem, Ode to Joy. It says, Joy, a spark from heaven, your magic power binds together what we by custom wrench apart. All men will emerge as brothers where you rest your gentle wings. And let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And as we emerge from the waters together, we become a holy family. Listen, sisters and brothers, listen with your hearts for the joyful voice from heaven that declares, you are my child, with whom I am well pleased. Upon us, beloved, God rests God's gentle wings. Amen.